Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Well, I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse with the review thing, um, but recently there was a news article that came out and these folks at a company called Safety Detectives found a server with um, a, what 13 million over seven gigs of data have been exposed um, in basically this just huge scandal catching sellers who were um, reaching out to customers and offering them uh, you know free products in exchange for reviews and so there was a bunch of suspensions that happened and as you know as a result of that and um, and so you know, across the board in the community, it's been, well, you know, those, they'll just spin up new accounts and, you know, they'll be back up in no time. And these were like some major, I mean, eight, eight, some nine figure major sellers that were, um, that were suspended in this. Uh, so did you hear about that, Jeff? And, and what do you think about it? Like, I would just love to hear your view on this. So I did hear about it. Um, and we don't represent any of those sellers that are involved in it. So I can speak freely about it. Um, I think that that sort of bad behavior on Amazon happens a lot, quite a bit. And it's, you know, if it's not, you know, Amazon taking action, then the federal government certainly is going to start getting involved. You know, we've got a new administration that's not quite as business, business friendly as administrations past. And that certainly ups the ante. So things like review manipulation, rank manipulation stuff that's actual federal crimes i think is going to start being prosecuted and so um anyone that's taking those you know engaging in those practices has a lot to worry about you know if you're in if you're outside the united states a common misconception is that um you can't get me the reality is is that their products are in the united states and the government can certainly get those and so what so things that they can do is you know, maybe they can't go after, you know, Shenzhen Technology Corporation or whatever the company's name, but they can certainly freeze their United States assets, their their money that's not been dispersed yet, their PayPal accounts, their inventory. They can also block future shipments from coming into the United States from those companies. These products are mostly made in China. They know who the exporter is. They know who the importer is. It's not hard for CBP to, to impound all those goods and prevent them from coming back in. Um, and they also know who the owners are behind the companies. So, you know, if the federal government wants to make someone's life miserable, they'll just revoke their visa. <laughs> and that, you know, so they, there are actions that can be taken against foreign sellers, even though a lot of them think that nothing can happen. Uh, similarly, if you're in the United States and you're doing it, um, well, there's fines and jail time. So you really have to be, you have to watch out for it. And you need to know your risk because something that makes money today and makes a quick buck could be prosecuted tomorrow if it was illegal today and you just didn't do your due diligence. So that's, uh, you know, something, something to watch out for. Right. Yeah. And, and so the thing is, I know that the, the common practice is for them to just spin up new accounts, but as you were mentioning, these were some really large accounts. So to lose something like that and have those assets frozen is, a big deal that that would be hard to just replicate that in all new accounts. Um, right. I know that many of them probably will right spin up new accounts and they they'll under new company names and they won't be prevented from uh, importing right but uh, 
but yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely hard for Amazon because they're trying to be the, they're, they're trying to have low barriers to entry. That's what made them so successful in the first place, right? And then at the same time, you know, there's a lot of loopholes. And if there's a loophole, somebody's going to find it. So I would love to hear from you in terms of you guys run Seller Basics, where you help people who are suspended, you help them with all kinds of different things. Um, what are some of the loopholes that you've kind of discovered and that you've seen have been popular there? And um, how, how are you helping other people not have to use those loopholes, um, but be able to operate above board? Well, I guess the biggest loophole we've seen in the last you know, 12 months was this whole idea of insider, you know, I don't wanna call it insider trading, but insider uh, insiders at Amazon. So you had suspension people that were bribing Amazon employees to get either seller account data, like getting a report saying, this is why someone's suspended, or bribing them to actually reinstate the account. And that the loophole is caused because Amazon's system um, allows you know, any seller performance employee to go in and review accounts. Um, what's mm -hmm. happened behind the scenes that a lot of sellers don't realize is that anytime someone from Amazon logs into your account, it instantly creates a record. And so whether they just look at your account and do nothing, there's a record that so-and-so entered your account at this time on this date. And, you know, we have a former seller performance representative on our team. And as she describes it, you know, she makes, she said, it, you know, Amazon makes it very clear. They give you a, a queue every day of accounts that you're supposed to look at. And if you finish looking at all those accounts on your queue for the day, it'll just send you more. So it's like, you never, you never finish. But, you know, the thing is, is that what she's getting at is that Amazon tells you, these are the accounts that you have assigned to you. So if you start looking in other accounts, that's a red flag because, what are you doing looking at some random account? Again, heuristics, that's not a normal behavior for someone at Amazon and seller performance to be like, well, my queue has a hundred accounts that I'm supposed to review today. And, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and start just typing in randomly some other one. And, oh, I might go ahead and just review their appeal that's out sitting out there that hasn't been reviewed yet. And let me just click the reinstate button. You know, totally natural, right? No, of course not. That's totally not natural. So that's where people get in trouble. and. It ends, you know, and it, and so, you know, we have had sellers that did utilize those services that are no longer sellers anymore. And we've had, you know, tried to get their accounts back and some of them have gotten back and some of them have not. Um, so that's the loopholes that we see people doing. And then what we do is we're totally above board. So we're all licensed attorneys. Um, you know, we all follow the rules. We write, you know, we review the accounts. We write legitimate appeals using, you know, our you know, Paul started selling in 2005. Carolina worked at Amazon back in the day and sell in the TRMS when it was called TRMS, Transaction Risk Management Services. Now it's called Seller Performance. You know, we all have an Amazon edge that we, we bring to the table for what we do. And so we utilize our experience, you know, collectively to what I say, what I think is right, really good appeals. And so that's how we get sellers back the right way so that we don't, you know, the only time we reach out to an Amazon insider is if we're sending a letter to one of our attorney contacts at legal asking them to review the matter and take action and again that's not some backdoor you know text message it's a certified letter going to you know this attorney at amazon in their official capacity at amazon 410 410 north terry street in seattle washington 
you know, again, we want that paper trail to be there that this attorney being involved, there's no favors taking place. He's just doing his job, which is to mitigate risk. So. Got it. And I think, you know, that helps people understand the situations where they should hire an attorney because you're dealing with Amazon attorneys. It's not like you're just contacting seller support, some random person and, and doing something. And that is what a lot of the um, reinstatement services that are out there, uh, that's what they're doing is they're just using the right jargon um, with a, and sometimes that works, but if you really, if you really need the job done, that's the best way to do it is that way. So let's shift our focus from, you know, the, the, the Amazon side and the seller side and well, from the seller side to the Amazon side. So when okay. we're talking about protecting our products, of course, we can talk about trademarks and patents and all those things. And we'll get to some of those questions, but in terms of the processes that Amazon has in place for protection, um, one of the programs, we've got transparency, we've got brand registration, we've got the zero program. Um, of those programs, what do you recommend? Do you recommend that sellers utilize those programs? Have you seen um, them to be effective? So I don't recommend Project Zero, mainly just because I don't, I see a lot of the ill effects of Project Zero when it gets it wrong, but I recommend transparency to almost every private label seller. I don't see a situation in many cases, like I don't see many situations where transparency doesn't make sense. And that's because transparency prevents, you know, it, people from joining your listing in the first place. And so this whole notion, like I have, we have clients of ours that pay for hijacker alerts where they get text messages at three in the morning because someone is selling on their listing. And I'm like, or you could just pay for transparency. <laughs> like there's just like, cause like my biggest thing, and I always tell them when they're like, well, I get hijacker alerts. I had a client say that to me once and I was like, okay, and what do you do with that? And he goes, well, I said, you just said you have your, your solution to the problem is hijacker alerts, but what do you do with it? And he goes, well, I don't do anything with it. I just know that they're there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so you're paying. He calls you and it'll be, hey, I got a hijacker. Help me deal right. with this. <laughs> so, so it just goes to show it's like, you know, data without any, you know how they like the, the phrase, you know, data is meaningless without a purpose. Like that's that to me, that's meaningless data. Ding, you got a text, text message. Great. You know, taking no action. Okay. Whereas transparency, you never get the ding in the first place because they never even make it onto your listing. So. That's, and what's the difference between zero and transparency? Can you talk about that a little bit? So zero operates independent of transparency and you don't have to be in transparency to get zero. So zero is just like you register your trademark with Amazon. You give them pictures of what a legit product is supposed to look like. You designate sellers that are allowed to sell it. And then they just monitor the listings. And then if they find things that could be counterfeit, they'll just you know start taking down those sellers automatically and dropping, you know, them into the IP complaint bucket, which is then- But that could also hurt you too. If another seller submits a picture of a product that looks like yours, but yours is perfectly above board too, then right. have you seen that happen? Are people getting shut down under zero for no reason? So a lot of times what happens is people get shut down when they're like retail arbitrage or online arbitrage. That's where people get shut down on zero. And the reality is, is that the seller who signed up for zero that caused that person's seller account to be suspended when they were just selling your product, they didn't commit a crime. 
they didn't sell counterfeits, but Zero has false flagged them as selling counterfeits and shut down their entire account. And now you're the one that has to get involved to to you know to be, help as part of that reinstatement. And so it just ends up being more work for the the Zero enrollee to to deal with. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then transparency. So we were in transparency for a little while and we actually stopped using it. And the reason was because in transparency, you get unique. So for those of you who don't know about transparency, you get a unique barcode for each of your products and it must be applied to every single product uniquely. It's not like you can just design your packaging with your UPC barcode on it or your FN SKU on it and right. mass manufacture it and send it out. You have to buy these labels. These transparency barcodes are like little QR codes. You have to buy these labels from Amazon and they actually come from like Vistaprint or something. Um, yep. And you have to individually apply them to every single product. And yep. if your products do not have an individual barcode on every single product, you, they will get turned away when they go to get checked into Amazon. So for us, and, and you're supposed to also keep those transparency barcodes on every product in retail too. So if you right. sell in retail outside of Amazon, you're also supposed to apply your transparency barcodes there. So now what Amazon has done with transparency is they've also forced their program on everybody else. And in the way of, I see what you're saying, Jeff, where it might be really, really great for a seller that's only selling on Amazon, that is dealing with hijackers, that maybe has a more common product and doesn't have any protection for their supply chain. I get it. Like that would be worth labeling every single product. But for me, it was a nightmare and yeah. I was so tired of it. <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing to mention real quick too is, you know, if you get those transparent, we've never used it, but you know, the, one of the reasons why Amy was very similar, it's like, we're not going to sit here or hire somebody local to, to do that. So if you send those transparency labels over to China to your manufacturer, then you really have to trust that manufacturer to, you know, you got to send them the exact amount of, of barcodes, right. To make sure that they're not going to be like, Oh, well, we'll just, you know, cut the, you know, take half of these and go manufacture and, you know, yeah. our own and sell them or whatever, you know, you got to really trust that manufacturer as well. And then it just adds a whole nother layer of complexity. What if they put them on wrong? You know, what if they put them on the, the carton rather than the individual product or the case pack or whatever so then uh that was the other only other thing but i agree with you in terms of you know if if you're selling a product that's maybe not super unique um it, it totally could be worth it so um yeah we're checking out on it for your business and see whether it will work for you or not it also depends on what you're selling too so like you know we have one manufacturer that we work with that we got set up for transparency amazon accounts for about 10 percent of their worldwide sales so not a whole lot but on Amazon, they were have, dealing with an issue with counterfeit products being, you know, imported in and that were, and it's an animal health drug. And so those, you know, when you're selling OTC supplements and all of a sudden you show up in the New York Times in an article about someone's dog having blood coming from its eyes and ears, uh, the cost of transparency for the 90% that will never touch Amazon and it doesn't matter was way worth it to just, you know, to squash that problem and prevent it from ever happening. So. Yeah, I think, I think all of those are really, really good points. And especially if people are dealing with some of those things, it's a no brainer. You just yeah. got to make it work. You have to make it work and you got to work with your supplier and, you know, 
right. it, it makes sense. So we got some good programs on Amazon side, all of them with different benefits and risks right. uh, on both sides. And then let's talk about from the seller side. Um, when we're setting up our brands, what is the easiest way to protect our brand and our products um, when we're selling them online? So the easiest is a, is a registered copyright. Um, however, that's going to be your most basic form of protection. I, I always encourage sellers to copyright things like, you know, product, in, you know, product inserts, product packaging, you know, logos, all that stuff, you know, product detail pages and the images, assuming that they're your images, you know, go ahead and get your copyrights on it because it'll prevent issues down the road. You know, one of the things we've seen as a black hat tactic is you have a private label product is doing really well. Somebody else starts selling the private label product they get a copyright on your text and then they go to Amazon and say, look, I've got a copyright. And even though the copyright law protects you because that's a fraudulent copyright, you still have to prove it. And that's where it gets, you know, it's like you're, you're stuck in this loop of dealing with Amazon trying to prove, well, I started selling this in 2012 and they, they got their copyright in 2015 and it hasn't changed since then. And you, you're having to prove that to Amazon. So getting it at the front end, especially since copyrights are about $65, it's just so cheap, you know, why not just go ahead and get it and get it done? Um, you know, going up from there up the ladder in terms of protection, you get trademarks, trademarks again, not super expensive. Um, government filing fees are like roughly $250. You know, for seller basis members, we charge a flat rate of $599 and that includes the government fee. So I think we have the best value for trademarks in the Amazon space. Um, and then going, you know, then going up from there, you've got your patents, you've got design patents, and utility patents. Utility patents are like the holy grail because they're way expensive to get. Um, but that, but when you start talking about you know selling your business for real money, it's the businesses with design patents, utility patents, and really good trademarks that command the highest multiples. Because otherwise, the brands can go out and do it themselves, and those are what prevent that from happening. So, yeah. And as far as trademarks, I think that is the the very first. Step. I love the idea of copywriting. It's it's really easy and then the other workaround that i've seen people use is the dcma or dmca um, because if you have that digital proof that you own that and you publish it on your own website and you use that same text on amazon then you can use the dmca and actually this has been used against um the take dmca takedown has been used against um legitimate providers as well just like the copyright like wherever there's <laughs> wherever there's a loophole people will use it um but yeah that's another way if you didn't file a copyright and you're like oh no you know you can still file it it's very easy to do but I mean, literally Google how to file a copyright. That's one that is a DIY thing. You don't necessarily have to hire an attorney to do that, right? Um, but, but if you want it done and you just don't want to think about it, you know, it's all about a matter of, you know, we have different clients that have different values. So, it's just, you know. Yeah, your, you, how you value your time and whether or not you, how you want that done and, and how efficiently and effectively you want it done as well. Um, and then there's trademarks, right? And so trademarks, I think we should spend a little bit of time here because this is always, you know, I think Andy and I both in both of our groups and both of our clients, you know, everything across the board, it's always the question of, well, what should my brand name be and what should I trademark and how do I pick it? And, you know, all of 
my four trademarks, I've had to fight three of them. The only one I have not had to fight is amazing at home <laughs> because it's a service-based, it's a service-based trademark. And those are really easy to get approved. But all of my product-based trademarks, I have had to fight. I've had to do office actions. And so, yes, you can do it yourself, but it's not as simple as just searching for the word and going, oh, it's not trademark. Great. Because <laughs> yeah. There's so much more to think about. So um, I always recommend that people hire an attorney for trademarking and uh, or a service, an all-in service that's going to cover the office actions and everything else. But talk about trademarks. What what are the easiest ways to pick a brand name for trademark, and what what are some considerations? So the thing about trademarks is the easiest trademarks to get are the ones that don't mean anything. So think of like Google or Zoom even. Like you think about these names that have absolutely nothing to do with what they're selling. Um, I'm trying to think like other names have just been around. Nike. Nike means nothing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean. No. <laughs> yeah, you just, you find some random collection of letters that maybe sounds cool. Um, however, they do check foreign languages. So make sure they don't sound cool and mean something in a foreign language that's related. But you know, you find something that you find something that means nothing to what you're selling, and that's the going to be your strongest trademark. Um, as you work, you know, down the list of trademarks, you know, the more it represents what you're selling. Like you know, I was selling pet shampoo, and my trademark was pet shampoo world. Not a very strong trademark. Um, I got it because of length of time selling, so they had to give it to me. Um, so I was over the five year mark, but it you know it was very descriptive in terms of being a trademark. So. You want it to be original, non-descriptive, not geographically misdescriptive. That's a big one. So, you know, if you're selling a product that's made in China and you're calling it, you know, Swiss made, uh, that's a problem. So don't, you know, um, so it needs to be, you know, not misdescriptive in any way. And, uh, and yeah, so, and then you go from there, you know, there's just, there's, it's more than just saying, looking and seeing that no, no one else is using your mark. Um, for instance, we're now advising sellers if they really want a comprehensive trademark search, you're going to want to search both, you know, both the United States as well as all the marketplaces that Amazon operates that you think you could go to. Oh, and China too, because if you're making your product there, you probably want a Chinese trademark as well to protect you from what's called trademark hijacking in China. And um, we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, Jeff. Uh, oh, sorry. Amy, I just wanted to add on real quick to that. So Amy and I have talked about this a lot. I know that I've, uh, we, I've mentioned this a lot, uh, you know, early on too, is, you know, the best name that you can get is number one, you know, something that doesn't describe your product, right? Especially if you're new on Amazon, because you could start in the dog category and then pivot to something else, right? So you don't want like, you know, dog products, or magical dog products or something like that, you would want, you know, like Jeff was saying, something that, that doesn't mean anything, like one of, you know, Movoto, for example, is like a real estate website, right? That's a made up word, but it's short and super easy to remember, right? So to me, the strongest name, uh, you know, if you're just getting into Amazon now and you're not entrenched and already, you know, on a trajectory, something short, something that has the domain name, which a lot of people don't even think about that. They're like, oh, I'm going to go get the trademark. They try to submit the trademark and then look at the domain. It's not available. So short name, domain available. Um, and, and and then also- Social um, media aliases. Exactly. Check like, the oh, aliases. Make yeah, sure like, you don't so have somebody out there. That's, a, that's also great advice. Like look at all these things before you go down that road. And like I say, I always tell people now, one of the biggest mistakes I made 
when I started my Amazon business was a, was a, a category specific name, which, you know, like I said, you don't know where you're going to pivot to get it super short, something that's easy to remember. And then go from there. That's just my advice. Anyway, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Absolutely. Good um, stuff. Well, I mean, as far as we could go on and like, we could have a whole session about trademarks and maybe right. we should one day. I know we've had other sessions with you, Jeff, where we just talk about this. Um, it's been so good. So what's your advice, Jeff, for those sellers that are just starting out? Because it's kind of a big, scary world right now. You know, all the latest stuff that's been going on. What's your advice for those sellers that are just starting out, building their foundation, their initial brand, um, getting started selling? How, what's your advice for them? I mean, I don't want to sound like we're promoting too much, but seller basics is a really good investment for a lot of sellers because we charge $99 a month and that gives you unlimited consultations with licensed attorneys in the United States. So right now it's myself, Paul and Katie. In the future, we're going to be adding more attorneys into our network and you get to talk with whoever, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you'll get routed to the expert that best serves that area. So if it's trademarks, you'll talk to someone that's knowledgeable about IP. If it's LLCs, you'll probably talk to myself or Paul, you know, and that's, and that's really where we're trying to build it. So it sounds like a lot for new sellers. We don't have any contract requirement though. And so $99, is, as you know, in the legal world is very cheap, especially because the, our consults are 20 to 30 minutes long. So it's not just like, you know, a five minute call, you know, it's a 20 to 30 minute consult that normally we'd bill out for 250 bucks that we're giving to you for free as a member of our program. And so, you know, just last week I was talking to a seller who had unfortunately joined Seller Basics after she received an IP complaint um, for her private label product. And it was a trademark infringement complaint. And the product was really cool, but it was definitely on the infringing side of things. And so her seller, her manufacturer in China never told her, like, you know, she asked, are you sure I can sell this? And he said, oh, of course you can. It's allowed to be sold in China. <laughs> Not, and didn't say anything about the US, and now she has 5,000 units that she purchased that are, that she's asking me, what can I do with them? I'm like, well, legally, you can't sell them. They're, you can't do anything with them. Legally, you, you got to throw them in the trash. Like, if you choose to give them out to friends and family, as long as you know they're not going to sell them, that, you know, I can't tell you you can do it, but that's about your, what you're limited to because you can't make a profit off somebody else's intellectual property. And these products are definitely infringing. So... It's uh, so that's sad. And if she would have paid, you know, she's, she's planning on staying in seller basics now and running future product ideas by us. But if she would have had, you know, if she would have come to us for a free consult under the $99 a month program, she would have saved herself thousands of dollars. Cause I didn't you even mean ask for I, all of those situations where we're like, yeah, you should ask a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ask an accountant, ask a lawyer, you know, all those, all those questions that come up constantly. And we're working on bringing an accountant into the team too. So that way, when you need to talk to an accountant, you can talk to the CPA. And when you need to talk to a tax lawyer, you can talk to Paul. <laughs> and, and that way, you know, and whether it's you're selling your business or you've got an, you know, some sort of other question related to law, we pretty much are trying, you know, we're trying to be that full service approach. And I love it. I love the one-stop shop and the, and the, uh, and the laser focus and the, and the, you know, niche out in terms of, you know, there's so many people who claim they know Amazon and they don't. So I really love that. I think you guys are going to do awesome. Um, Jeff, one of the things we love to do here is, um, 
you know, I, I love to, since we're always learning, right? So we ABL always be learning. Uh, what, what are some of your favorite podcasts, you know, any motiv- uh, personal development, motivational stuff, you know, anything that you would like to share with, with uh, the audience that you're into right now that might give them some, uh, some benefit. So I'm kind of one of those. That's a terrible question for me, unfortunately, because <laughs> I like the two things I, I do is I read the wall street journal to try to figure out what's going on in the world. Cause I find it to be a little bit less biased than some of the other sources. And then I just listen to Spotify like music because right. if I just like, if I was to listen to like podcasts all the time, I probably like, I just yeah, would explore whatever. too much yeah. info, info overload. Right. So yeah, that's, that, I get that's it. My, for me, it's like, I just have to, I have to, uh, unfortunately, you know, like tune out sometimes to what's going on, but there's definitely a lot of really good podcasts in the space. And, you know, so I, you know, and I, so I'll leave it at that. I could, it'd be hard to just, I'd have to like start listing everybody I know, and then people might get left out and it gets a little. <laughs> it's all good. So uh, what's next? Like you guys said, you're bringing on account accountants and you, it sounds like you're building the team. Uh, let yeah. us know like, you know, what, what's in the future and how people can get a hold of you guys. So some of the big things we've accomplished recently is, um, you know, we made it now, if you're in Seller Basics and your account gets suspended, you don't, after two, and you've been a member for 60 days, you don't pay any suspension reinstatement fee unless you choose like, you know, a weekend service or something like that, you know, cause we still offer, you know, like the over, like if it's 10 PM and you want the appeal within three hours, like that's not free, but we, otherwise, if you're willing to wait till tomorrow, that's now free. So seller basics definitely protects you against the suspensions. Um, you know, that's a big one. Other things that we're rolling out, you know, we just, one of our sellers came to us two weeks ago. He goes, I wish I had a service where you guys could look at my product listings and tell me if I was going to get suspended. It's like, that's a great idea. So now it's, it's you know, instead of charging these, you know, the fee for reinstating a suspended product listing, which is only 500 bucks for seller basis members, which is pretty cheap compared to most people, we made that $350. Where we'll actually just look at your listing and say, Amazon could have a problem with this. You could get a trademark infringement for this, you know, and just really proactively preventing issues before they happen. So we're really, we're big on, we don't profit off of people's misfortune. We, you know, are there to help offer proactive solutions to keep people from being in misfortune situations. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for uh, coming on. It was, it was awesome to have you. I, I'm glad that I got, you know, everyone's like, I don't believe the rebate thing. I'm like, okay, fine. I have a lawyer now. He says it's cool guys. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, thank you for that. I really appreciate awesome. that. Thank you so much for being on again. We really appreciate it. Uh, everybody who joined us live in the meeting. Thank you guys so much. We'd love to have you guys dropping questions and stuff. We really appreciate that. Um, if you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. It really helps us and it gets the word that word out. And we're going to every single week. I keep, I, I'm one of those people, like I used to check like my Amazon seller profit dashboard. Now I go to my chartable uh, and my podcast dashboard. And I'm like, all right, how are we doing this week? You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with that. So I really appreciate that guys. If you've done that, uh, if not, you know, put it on your, t- your, your very long to do list. It only take you like five minutes, but I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, once again, join us live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific time. So roundtable.com forward slash live. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. 
sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.